It's your time to Ed Up with America's leading higher education podcast network, the Ed Up Experience, where we make education your business. This is Ed Up Legal with your host, Patty Roberts. She's Dean at St. Mary's School of Law, and she's going to be leading conversations about legal education in today's world. Now let's hear from your host, Patty Roberts. Welcome to Ed Up Legal. I'm Patty Roberts speaking to you from St. Mary's University School of Law. And today's guest is Laura A. Rosenberry. She's the Dean and Levin Mabian Levin Professor of Law at the University of Florida Levin College of Law, a position she has held since July of 2015. Welcome, Dean Rosenberry. Thank you so much for having me today. Oh, I'm really excited to have you because um, you have in your, let's see, it must be your seventh year now. Yes. In your seven years at the University of Florida, um, led the school to such amazing progress. I mean, when I read the list of um, how you've extended your reach around the globe or increased applications nearly 200 percent, Um, You've hired 31 new faculty members, raised over $100 million in private funds, and have six of the most accomplished and diverse classes in the school's history. That's a phenomenal report card for six years, seven years. Um, So can you tell us a little bit about what your secrets are? (laughs) What's the secret sauce to uh, to make all these things happen? And I'm only partially um, jesting here, but um, tell us a little bit about that progression at the University of Florida. Absolutely. Um, well, you know, I came to UF um, as an outsider. I had no ties to Florida. I had never um, lived in Florida. Um, I went to school on the East Coast, and I'd actually never been to the University of Florida Levin College of Law before I interviewed. I had been to the Florida State um, College of Law, but never to um, UF Law. And so, um, you know, when I was interviewing, I thought I was a long shot, um, but I also learned a lot um, about, you know, sort of the untapped potential at at the university. Um, And um, the university had just uh, hired a new president, Kent Fox, who had been the provost at Cornell before joining um, the University of Florida in January of 2015. And um, his goal was to raise the national stature of the university as a whole. Um, make it a top five public research institution. And um, when he was interviewing me, he said, you know, a great university needs a great law school. And University of Florida, you know, has has produced many leaders, but it's been a little sleepy for a while. And I think um, with the right dean, um, it it could really um, rise in national prominence. And, and also I learned later the rankings. So um, <laughs> national so, prominence equals. Yeah. That's right. In our system, um, it equals the rankings. So, um, you know, I became increasingly intrigued um, about um, the potential, particularly because the state of Florida has been investing in higher education um, in a way that other states um, have not been able to. And so, um, I was hired with a real mandate for change. I uh, was hired as an agent of change. 
And it probably helped that I didn't know a lot of details at first um, because I might have gotten discouraged because change is hard. And, um, and I realized I have a greater appetite for change than some other people do. Um, but, um, you know, I, I started meeting with all the faculty. I met with all the staff. I started touring the state to meet alums. And, and, and I, I realized that there were some pretty um, quick things we could do to start um, generating more applications, um, uh, generating better contacts with employers, and um, um, doing more alumni outreach. Um, and so, you know, in some ways, outreach <laughs> has been a key to my success. Um, you know, really being on the road a lot and, and combining all my trips with, you know, visits with alumni, employers, and potential students, and trying to get the word out there about the Levin College of Law. Um, and, you know, so we started, you know, getting more applications. We started increasing um, our median LSAT, our median undergraduate GPA, while also increasing the diversity of the class. And that's what got things started. It was getting people excited about the law school again um, and, you know, reaching people in different parts of the state. And I realized we were um, having a problem recruiting students from South Florida, and that's our biggest population base. So I've spent more time in South Florida. And um, once we started that momentum, it was easy to then also um, begin to hire new faculty, um, make some international partnerships, um, and, and improve job placement for our students. Well, that's really outstanding. And thank you for sharing with us a little bit about what you focused on in those early years to, uh, to make these kinds of significant changes. Um, you know, today we as deans uh, and the academy are talking a lot about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And to have six of the most accomplished and diverse classes in your 113 years, that's pretty significant. And I wonder if you can speak to particular initiatives you have uh, undertaken that are helping you diversify the class so significantly. Right. Well, and you know, as I learned more about the University of Florida, I realized we had a special obligation to do um, a lot of outreach to um, potential students of color um, because the University of Florida had not admitted any black students until 1958. It was a completely segregated university. And the first student who enrolled at the University of Florida happened to enroll at the College of Law. Um, his name is George Stark. He's still alive. Um, oh, amazing. Yes, we were able to give him an honorary degree right before the pandemic in 2019 um, because he ended up not graduating, and I can understand why. Um, um, I think he faced a lot of hostility um, being that um, leader of racial desegregation. Um, so, you know, as I learned more about um, the state and the university, um, I became even more committed to ensuring we did a lot of outreach to particularly Black and Hispanic students and um, to, to get them here once we'd accepted them. Um, and, and part of that was, um, you know, um, providing scholarships for students who enhance the diversity of our class in multiple ways, um, including by being the first generation in their family um, to go to college. Mm -hmm. um, 
And, and as we um, played out, you know, all, all different types of outreach strategies that many law schools use, um, I increasingly um, heard from alums who wanted to assist. And that's why I was so excited in 2020 that we were able to establish a special scholarship program for HBCU graduates. Um, and um, last year, or this year's 1L class was the first year we were able to have our you know, HBCU scholars. We spent 2020 recruiting them um, with full scholarships and a special stipend um, to help defray le uh, living expenses. So they arrived um, on campus in August of 2021. Our goal was to have five HBCU scholars the first year, but we were able to double the goal. And so we have 10. Oh, that's terrific. Yes, and so, and they're now helping us recruit um, next year's HBCU scholars class. So, you know, so we're now trying to be even more targeted um, and with certain groups and alums have really helped with that process as well. Wonderful. Um, well, thank you for sharing that. And I'm sure a huge part of increasing scholarships to increase the diversity of your class includes not only alumni involvement in recruiting, but also in funding these uh, stipends and scholarships. And this, oh, you know, $100 million in private funds that you've been able to raise. Um, tell us what uh, the motivation seems to be for those who are giving in such significant amounts. And, um, the particular differences they, that those funds have made, um, for instance, as you said, in scholarships, but where else at the institution? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And, and you know, I had no fundraising experience before um, uh, joining the University of Florida. I think that was the question mark in my record. And, you know, because of that, I was intimidated about about fundraising, but I also immediately saw the need for fundraising and and that helped me get over my hesitation because I could, you know, talk with alums and other donors about how their support could help us recruit stronger classes, could help us recruit stronger faculty, um, and could otherwise, you know, enhance our national reputation. I will say of the $100 million, almost $30 million have been, has been for student scholarships. And um, I start, resource. Yes. And we started off with a match from one of our most generous um, donors who pledged $1.5 million for student scholarships as long as two things happened. First, the university matched that $1.5 million. And second, I got $1.5 million from at least 1,000 alums um, in a four-month period. And so it was oh, a big scramble. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it got people involved who had been um, sort of on the sidelines or who hadn't thought about UF law since graduating. You know, I, I, I did a summer tour um, during that time period, going to different states and uh, different cities in Florida and going to DC, New York, and, you know, emphasizing that no gift was too small because we had this 1000 person goal, but also no gift was too large. <laughs> and that this could make <laughs> that's great. <laughs> and not to worry, great. we'll accept your one and a half million also. <laughs> that's right. Um, we could do a quadruple match. Um, but you know, and and always bringing it back to the students, and you know, any way we can keep their debt load, 
manageable uh, means they can go into public interest work, government service right after graduation, instead of feeling the pressure um, to pursue a, a different path um, in order to pay off their loans. So, you know, I really emphasized um, students' professional freedom, uh, freedom to choose what they did right after graduation, um, but also, um, our um, mission as a public law school and wanting to send more students into government work and, um, and public interests. Um, so that um, helped a lot in the scholarship area. Um, but of course, then there are some people who are just not interested in scholarships. They want to um, hire faculty, start programs, um, or, or what I love, just provide general support <laughs> to the school. Um, That's right, the Dean's Fund, right? I'm familiar <laughs> with that now. <laughs> and, you know, one thing uh, that was particularly um, invigorating because, um, you know, I had no idea it would turn out this way, but, um, you know, one of the alums who I met my very first year as Dean, kept talking about how he wanted to, um, you know, bolster and support health law um, programming at the college, both coursework, um, but also, um, um, you know, being a more of a, a national place for health law discussions. And, um, you know, we have this great tax program at, at UF. And, and he said, I want in 20 years for the health law program at UF to be just as good as the tax law program. So at least he didn't say two years or five years. He <laughs> said 20 years. Yeah. And, and we began to talk and my team began to talk with him about what would that require. And, and ultimately it led to a commitment from this alum of $20 million, um, which was the largest gift ever from a living alum here at UF. And I, I had no idea when we began our conversations that it could lead to a gift that large. And, and it took about three years. Um, and we're still building the program and we're looking for health law faculty at all times. So if anyone is interested, let me know. But more so, you know, we're trying to highlight our health law curriculum now, um, which was pretty non-existent before I arrived and recruiting students who are interested in health law as well. That is quite an impactful gift. That's terrific. And uh, congratulations to you and your team for um, getting that gift and um, how wonderful of that alum to, to see the future of what he wanted for health law at University of Florida at Lemon College of Law and to put his money where his mouth was, right? To, to say, here, I'm even going to give you the money to make that happen. So congratulations. We talked about... Um, faculty members. So you've hired 31 new faculty members. And I know fundraising can be a big part of that, but I'd like to know how large your faculty is overall. So what percentage those new faculty members are and what the University of Florida 11 College of Law is doing to make sure that those faculty member, you know, faculty members continued the traditions the Levin College of Law already established and how you are helping them to uh, to build a new culture too of, of this nationally and internationally recognized law school. Absolutely. So we've traditionally had about 45 tenured faculty and 20 non-tenured track full-time faculty. So 
um, 65, you know, full-time faculty who have some security of position. Um, and so, so that's nearly half, wow. Nearly half. And, um, you know, part of it um, had to do with the fact that um, when I arrived, there were many retirements already uh, planned or in motion. And then I was able, because of the generosity of alumni, to provide some incentives for others to begin thinking about retirement and engaging in, you know, two or three year plans to retire. So, so our faculty hasn't grown appreciably with this hiring. It's, it's grown a little bit, um, but it's mostly been replacing faculty and, and who have retired. So doing succession planning, which, you know, I think all law schools have to think about, I assume all aspects of higher education <laughs> have to think about this, but it's often, um, not done in a um, planned manner or strategic manner. And so beginning to talk more explicitly about, um, you know, how people might want to wind down their career at the University of Florida 11 College of Law and help them see what their future could look like over the next two to three years is how we were able to do that new hiring and uh, supported by alumni donations, but also, um, um, the university pitching in and said, you know, there might be a few years where you have, you know, double faculty and that's okay, we'll cover you for that time to make the transition go more smoothly. Um, you know, and, and with respect to the tenured and tenure track faculty we've hired, there's been a real focus on scholarly engagement. I think um, that wasn't the focus, you know, back in the 60s and 70s when some of our faculty joined um, the Levin College of Law. And so, finding ways to invigorate existing faculty, but also to hire others who have great scholarly potential and scholarly records. And that's a real change and it does require an adjustment. Um, um, you know, finding ways to help people be in dialogue with other scholars um, across mm -hmm. the country, other lawyers throughout the country um, um, has been one of our goals. And I have a great team, a great associate dean for research and faculty development who helps with that. Um, at the same time, um, you know, UF has always been a law school that values teaching. And, and um, you know, having um, an open door policy, um, um, being present for the students. And so we've, you know, really uh, focused on that in our hiring as well. So scholarly excellence and a commitment to students and, and their future as lawyers. Um, you know, I will say we didn't have any onboarding processes in place. So we're, you know, developing those as we go. And um, I embrace a mindset of continuous improvement. So not everything has worked, but we're now trying new things. And, um, and, you know, we, we, We've already um, hired five new faculty this year who will be joining us in August. And that's we exceptional. Have, it's because it's been hard to hire faculty this year. I know. And, and we have. I guess because you took them all. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I will say, you know, one thing that, you know, has helped us recruit students, um, it, it's motivated many of our alums and their giving, as well as our faculty hiring, is going up in the U.S. news rankings. Now, I know we, you know, we all have qualms about the U.S. news rankings, but 
you know, I'm in a state that values them greatly and the university has now become a top five public um, university. And so, um, you know, the law school is trying to do the same. We're not yet top five among public universities. We're number six, um, but we've been able to get um, to 21 amongst all law schools. And when I started, we were 48. So, so that rise has really helped us um, in multiple ways. It's had its downsides though too. I mean, at least um, with respect um, to some faculty wondering if we're prioritizing rankings over everything else. And so that's why I really try to focus on those aspects of the rankings that we would care about regardless. So, um, you know, we want to uh, recruit great students. We would care about that regardless. We want to place them in rewarding long-term jobs. We would care about that regardless. Sure. And so, you know, and so as, as we're able to attract those great students, I think we're also able to then attract uh, faculty and um, move forward. Well, I'm glad that you included a discussion of the rankings. I know we have a, a love-hate relationship or a like-hate relationship with the Academy, um, but the reality is right now that what your ranking is can impact the quality of students and faculty and even employment options for your students. And so um, it is a reality. So that's great for you all that, that you've had uh, such success with it because success in the rankings begets success in these other areas. Um, okay, so you have two new initiatives I wanna make sure that we get to. One, you're getting involved with the artificial intelligence initiative at the university. So please tell us what role the law school will play and what that looks like. Yes, so this is you know a campus-wide um, interdisciplinary, cross-disciplinary initiative. Um, um, focused on this amazing supercomputer that um, the university now has. It's the eighth fastest in the nation um, anywhere. And um, that's it's, pretty impressive. I know. <laughs> and, you know, at first I was like, well, what am I going to do with a supercomputer? What, what are my, uh, you know, colleagues and faculty members going to do with the supercomputer? Your emails must come really fast. <laughs> much faster than for the rest of us, which must make it especially hard. <laughs> well, and, you know, so I've had to do a crash course on artificial intelligence and, and what a supercomputer can do and, and um, you know, predictive modeling, machine learning, all of that. Um, and, and we've been able to inspire faculty, some of whom were already thinking about law and technology, but some of whom had not, but just understand that our world is being uh, transformed by AI. So, you know, the law school is now um, really trying to be a hub within the university to talk about how to develop a, the appropriate ecosystem uh, for AI, you know, an ecosystem of ethics, um, incentives, governance, um, safeguards, other forms of public policy that can maximize the benefits of AI and um, reduce its potential harms. Um, um, this year, we had seven upper level courses taught by our faculty related to AI. Um, and that's just wonderful to have our two L's and three L's being able to take nuanced 
classes about how AI is impacting traditional areas of law and, and society as a whole. We now have eight professors writing about AI as it relates to their um, subject matters. Um, we just hired the university is hiring a hundred new professors focused on AI and, and oh my goodness, I was already impressed with what you were doing at the law school, but a hundred yeah. are there even a hundred professors focused on AI? Well, so the first ones who 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 you know uh, joined us were engineers and computer scientists and other people in the sciences. And I wasn't even sure the law school would be allocated any positions, but we've now been allocated two positions at least. And we just hired our first person who specializes in AI and fintech um, and um, cryptocurrency, blockchain, that sort of thing. So I'm also um, uh, reading up on that. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and, you know, all of this is designed to be cross-disciplinary. And as we've thought about this fintech initiative, you know, we've worked with the business school here at UF, as well as the um, College of Engineering. And in doing so, we realize the collaboration between law, business, and engineering goes beyond um, AI, even though we will clearly be collaborating in the AI space. You know, if you think about how legal practice is evolving, you know, our students need to know much more than um, simply legal rules. You know, they're, they're gonna need to know more about the substance of their um, future clients uh, businesses and goals and and finding ways for our students to learn um, next to, you know, business school students and engineering students has been one of my goals. And we're working toward having an upper level curriculum that has many more courses of law, business and engineering students. Um, some of it will relate to technology, but um, some of it will simply be, you know, more law and business and and other um, related subjects. So we're also really excited about that collaboration. I'm sure. I don't know that I have heard of another law school incorporating engineering yet. Are there others? You know, I think, um, you know, Georgetown and Stanford are, you know, leading the way in this law and tech space, and they do have engineers and and computer scientists involved, but. Um, you know, we're hoping to to be even more integrated with right. our um, College of Engineering and our College of Business. You know, um, it's always a challenge. So I, I, I hate to speak before we can report success, but mm -hmm. um, um, that is, you know, one of my goals going forward is to give our students the opportunity to learn with their future clients, to learn with people in business school and the engineering school. Um, I think we'll add a richness to that upper level curriculum. Well, and it'll add, um, it will enrich future problem solving by all of them um, and increase reliance across disciplines. So that's great. I would have, yes, we have some cross-disciplinary work, obviously with business and uh, computer science students. It's just engineering hadn't, hadn't made that leap to the more, less computer science, more uh, technical engineering. Right. So right. that's exciting. All right, well, when I conclude all of our EdUp legal interviews, I always ask for predictions about the future of legal education. So I would love to know where you see legal education evolving in the coming decade. And if the answer is different, 
where it should evolve, if there are places where you think it should evolve, where it's unlikely to evolve. Fascinating. Well, certainly, you know, the pandemic has really um, accelerated, I think, change to legal education. And, you know, I applaud you and St. Mary's for launching the first um, fully online JD program. I don't know if that could have happened, but for the pandemic. And, you know, we, we yeah, I, very impressed to see that um, we're going to stay residential, at least for now. Um, uh, there's only so much change, I think, <laughs> we, can, yes. we have an appetite for, even though we can now bring in um, experts and alumni and, and other, um, you know, lawyers and leaders of businesses in a way we never could before. Zoom has transformed the ways that we we can connect with people out in the real world. And I think that will accelerate um, and, and it should. Um, you know, we, we always talk about, you know, well, in the past we talked about a practice ready <laughs> uh, law student. Mm -hmm. um, you know, practice is rapidly evolving. So I don't know what that means anymore, but I do think it's really important for our students to have, um, um, interactions with people who have been practicing law, as well as um, um, people who have complex legal problems who might not be lawyers, you know, who are, you know, um, in industry. So um, that's, you know, that's going to continue pace, I think. And, and we certainly are going to double down on having, you know, guest speakers, co-teachers, um, 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 events via Zoom that, that can really expose our students to the, the diversity of legal practice um, and help them better understand the various paths they could follow. You know, what what's... Um, missing, though, in that focus is, of course, how do we better address the access to justice problem? And, you know, there are so many individuals who um, uh, don't have access to legal counsel and could really use it, um, but um, their income and, and financial situation is, is such that they can't hire lawyers. So we've also been, you know, um, we were sort of behind at UF in, in building our uh, clinical capacity. Um, and so we, we've started a, a veterans clinic and an immigration clinic in addition to our traditional clinics. And we just received a, a grant from the IRS to start a low income taxpayer clinic. Um, and that will happen um, this fall. So, you know, we're doing um, a little bit in that area, but I would love to do more. And I would love to learn from others who, you know, could really, think about how law schools could evolve to better address that access to justice gap. Well, as a recovering clinician, I'm excited to hear about your expanded clinic opportunities. Um, and you're right, I think we can certainly make a difference at the margins, but there's such a great need that even if all of our students across all of the law schools um, lent a hand, I'm not sure that it could fill the need, but, um, but we have to keep those discussions going. So thank you so much for being with us and sharing some of the University of Florida 11 College of Law's successes um, since you took over. And I wish you continued success and good luck uh, as you move forward into graduation and the coming year. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be with you.
This has been another episode of Ed Up Legal with your host, Patty Roberts. Ed Up Legal is part of the Ed Up Experience podcast and network, bringing you the brightest and most influential minds across higher education and beyond. Here at Ed Up, we make education your business.